Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Word Balloon, the comic book conversation show. John Suntress here. Sorry it's been a while since we've had a new episode. Not since the Bendis tapes, which I put out uh, right around Thanksgiving. Uh, got sick, got busy, feel better. Uh, happy to bring you today's episode. It's uh, Mark DiMatteis, of course, J.M. DiMatteis, to uh, the uh, people who are looking at the credits of comics. You know Mark's work. I mean, what a great run on Captain America back in the day. Spider-Man, Craven's Last Hunt in particular, classic stories, uh, unbelievable work that he's done for decades, and uh, great stuff on the Spectre, and when Hal Jordan became the Spectre for a while, and uh, really interesting stories. Moonshadow. Him and John Muth back in uh, the 80s. Uh, Brooklyn Dreams. So many great books. And uh, really a, a great creator who hit the black and white era and the direct market era of the 80s and really stretched out beyond the traditional superhero stories. And uh, that work continues. Savior 28. Uh, what a great story that he did uh, for uh, IDW back in the day. And, uh, you know, the current list in, it continues in that tradition. We're going to talk about some of his newest uh, projects. Uh, for instance, Impossible Inc., a very fun all-ages story. But as Mark likes to say, it's not just all-ages, and sometimes that's a turnoff to people. But it really is. It's a, it's a great escapist fantasy adventure uh, from IDW. Of course, he's been doing incredible work and animation for years. Great stuff. Like, uh, you know, he adapted the wonderful Alan Moore, Dave Gibbons Superman story for The Man Who Has Everything for Justice League Un Unlimited. He took an original Steranko story about uh, Mr. Miracle and fourth world characters in Justice League and uh, wrote the script for that. He also has done Constantine, City of Demons, the movie, the great animated movie that's available now. It's on DC Universe. It's available for a DVD purchase and also, of course, you know, any, any digital streaming purchases as well. But, I mean, we just saw it a couple weeks ago on The CW, a great hour-long special about John Constantine showing a good portion of the movie, intercutting with um, great stuff about uh, Constantine's participation in Legends of Tomorrow. Man, I got to tell you, as an older reader... When this stuff happens on primetime TV on a major network and they decide to spend an hour talking about a comic book character, I got to tell you, man, it's a brave new world and I'm glad that I'm around to see it. And uh, I, I love it. I just think it's incredible. And we, we talk about that because I know Mark shares that same amazement of uh, what the hell's going on. But it, it was fantastic. So we talk about that. He's got some really cool stuff coming up as well. I mentioned Moonshadow, his wonderful 80s work with John Muth. This amazing story, seriously, uh, that uh, you really could put alongside the best of Neil Gaiman's Sandman, uh, the best Alan Moore fantasy stuff. He and John Muth, such a great version of uh, version. It's their story, Moonshadow, that they did for Epic, uh, Marvel's uh, premiere line back in the 80s. Well, now the definitive Moonshadow edition is coming out in 2019. Also, 
He's working with uh, Karen Berger for Dark Horse's imprint, Berger Books. We talk about The Girl in the Bay. That is another darker kind of vertigo kind of thing. You got to remember, man, Mark is not only a great superhero writer, but like I said, I mean, the Constantine stuff right there along with the best of Vertigo and a lot of his stuff uh, that Karen edited over the years. Well, they're working together again. Girl in the Bay, he gives us a description this is another cool thing that's coming in February from Burger Books. So uh, all those things and more uh, in a great conversation with Mark DiMatteis on today's Word Balloon. It's all brought to you by the League of Word Balloon listeners. Thank you very much, League, for your support. I'm posting this at the end of November. Uh, thank you very much for your support via Patreon. Uh, it means a lot. Um, you know, the uh, I'm, I'm doing what I can to... Uh, Keep the lights on here at wordballoon.com, and everything's going fine. Don't worry. I'm not in in dire straits. But uh, really, your support and subscriptions for the Word Balloon are really helping uh, keeping things moving forward, uh, keeping me uh, going to uh, put out some amazing podcasts. And it's uh, on your backs, and I I truly appreciate that. Uh, You are all executive producers of Word Balloon with your contributions to Patreon. Thank you. Word Balloon is free. It will always be free because I want more people to jump on the Word Balloon bandwagon and uh, enjoy what I'm trying to do here and uh, provide interesting conversations in the pop culture world. If you can, I know it's the holidays. Uh, I know that our money is going into gifts and, and other things. And, and hey, man, everyone's struggling. Believe me, I get it. But if you can, if you can afford uh, subscribing to Word Balloon, is Word Balloon worth a dollar a month? Is it worth the price of a comic book a month? I think I provide some interesting uh, conversations that only enhance your interest in the subjects we cover here at wordballoon.com. If you're interested, if you can subscribe to Word Balloon, go to patreon.com slash wordballoon or click on the ad on the front page of wordballoon.com. Thank you, League of Word Balloon listeners. This Word Balloon episode is also sponsored by Aftershock Comics, who are shaking things up at your local comic shop right now. Amazing hit series, Lollipop Kids from Adam and Aiden Glass and Diego Yapur. A Walk Through Hell from Garth Ennis and Gordon Suzuka. Is that not not enough Garth Ennis for you? What about Jimmy's Bastards, another great series from Garth Ennis and Russ Brown? There's Pestilence from Frank Thierry uh, coming out with a new trade in early January. Uh, This is Christmas season. You can get a lot of great books from Aftershock. And the great thing is, these are all names that you recognize. They, they write your favorite books. Well, they're doing amazing original titles at Aftershock Comics. Cullen Bunn and Dalibor Taljic are doing Witchhammer. This is Aftershock's first original graphic novel. It's coming out in just a couple weeks, December 19th. We're going to be talking to Cullen in the days ahead, so be uh, looking for that. But really, it's Christmas time, and I'll remind you as well in the middle commercial that Aftershock is a perfect option to buy a new comic book for your favorite comic book reader or even yourself and treat yourself to a new book, and you can jump right in. There are trades available now. There are first issues available, and I really think it's a great option for you, for your uh, favorite comic book reader at Christmas time, to give them the gift of Aftershock Comics. Check out full story descriptions, preview pages, and the diamond codes on these books to order through your local comic shop at AftershockComics.com. All right, without further ado, let's get into our conversation now with Mark DiMatteis talking about all of his new projects and uh, more right now on Word Balloon. J.M.D. Mateus, I like to call him Mark because he lets me. Welcome back to Word Balloon. Always a pleasure, man. Thanks for coming back. Happy to be here, John. Sad news last week with uh, Stan Lee's passing and figured that maybe, you know, if we start, I don't know if you 
have any uh, fun Stanley uh, memories or stories? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm still processing. It's, you know, yeah. I, I was saying to somebody, uh, Stan meant a lot to all of us. And yet we all knew he was, he was sort of, he was fading. And yet the, when the news came through that he had died, I was almost shocked by how profoundly moved I was and how profoundly sad I was, you know? It really is like losing a member of the family, you know, because he is sort of the the grandfather to all of us in this business in a lot of ways, you know, and it's just very, very sad. And I've, I've, if anyone wants to go to my website, I have like three different stand posts. In fact, I just put one up today because I've been reading all these, all these obituaries for the past week, some of which are so like completely ignorant uh, of the reality of, of, of Marvel and the reality of how comic books are produced. You know, it's just, it's really kind of astonishing. So I just wanted to get a few more thoughts out of my head and I wrote them up today. And put them on my website, but uh, but yeah, it's just it's just a profoundly sad thing. I didn't have a lot of. Uh, I have a lot of friends in the business who knew Stan really well and spent mm-hmm. a lot of time with him. I, I didn't, you know. I was saying somewhere, my, probably the the first time I bumped into him was when I just started Marvel, and he was occasionally still in the office. And I just remember being at the copy machine, making a copy of some Conan artwork, and like Stan appeared, ready to ready to make copies. And I, it, it was all I could do not to bow to him as I backed away. You know? <laughs> sure. And then I, I don't know if I've ever told this story, but I had this gig, and this this is about Stan, but not because I Shooter before I was uh, under contract at Marvel would throw me these little gigs, okay. and they they were they were suing some company. I don't remember there was a cartoon called Web Woman. I Wait, don't go on crazy, and 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 so Marvel was suing Web Woman over Spider Man. Sure. So Shooter hired me, and this was my gig, honest to God. He, Stan was in California. He put me in Stan's office for like, I don't know, a week or two with Stan's VCR and TV where I watched cartoons and wrote up little documents about the similarities between Web Woman and Spider-Man. So, so imagine I'm just starting out in the business, and I'm like, I get to hang out in Stan's office for like two weeks watching cartoons, watch cartoons. and I and I got paid for it. Is that That's, unbelievable? It's a loss, and like you said, I mean, it's something that we're still processing. And uh, yeah, I'm surprised too. I I was going to release um, a new interview with uh, Brian Bendis last Monday, and we both knowing that Stan had passed, we're like, yeah, let's let's hold off and let's give you know yeah. Stan some memorial time. And so, and uh, fortuitously for me, I was already prepared to be talking with Fred Van Lenty about a couple of his new projects. But, you know, he did that comic book history of comics Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, de facto historian and certainly spent a lot of time examining Stan's entire career, his contributions. And I'm like, oh, this is a good guy to kind of have an extemporaneous conversation with about Stan's passing. So that became kind of my memorial episode. But, yeah, I'm surprised. Like I said, I released the Bendis tapes as we're recording this uh, today. And I'm st- there was still even a little part of me going, all right, you know, I'm still kind of bummed about Stan. I don't know. But it's also like, all right, you know, like we can we can move on and, and still remember him. And that's why I'm happy to talk to people like you that have had your encounters with Stan and, uh, you know, are uh, – yeah, I mean just part, part of the – Part of the pastiche of memories, and I, I envy all of you that spent time working with him on stuff and and around him, as you say, with the with the web woman thing. And I'll p- also yeah. appreciate your perspective too on uh, the Kirby and uh, Ditko stuff because, yeah, you're right. It's um, it's a complicated story, and to truly, yes, minimize Stan's contributions is a complete disservice, and and just shows, as you say, uninformed bloggers out there who just 
didn't oh, know what they were writing. Oh, not just bloggers. You know, like from you know major major entertainment magazines, uh, major newspapers. You yeah. Know, they, you know, it's like anything else with any other discipline. People don't understand it unless you're behind the scenes. You know, when whenever I read articles about things that I know a lot about, you realize how much how much ignorant uh, ignorance the wrong word, but how much bad information is coming through to us every day? Well, because no when gate- I know about something, I go, "Oh no, no, that's not really right." You know. Well, there's and, no uh, there's no gatekeepers anymore, man. I mean, no. that's the thing. I don't know what editors do these days, and if they have the factual background to really check these things out. And it's like, yeah, no, that's not right. And and yeah, like you say, a lot of that just gets out. Well, and you know, as as I'm sure you read too, there were probably. Uh, people out there, the creator of Wolverine, no, <laughs> creator right. of Deadpool, right? No. <laughs> yeah, that's what I mean. I mean, the, the the extremes from like giving credit to Stan for everything, probably they credit him for creating Superman. Who knows, you know? <laughs> to the other extreme, where it's like he didn't do anything; he was just a bum, and he just yep. did, that Kirby wrote everything in the borders, and Stan just copied it, which is complete bullshit. Um, yeah. You know, like I said, it was it was a, it was a combination of of really great talents. And Marvel would not have happened if you removed any of those pieces from the puzzle. It would have never happened. Totally. And again, man, the man carried water during the the, the rough times of Marvel yeah. as well, and still was out there promoting. And uh, no, he's a fascinating person. And and yeah, it's a it's a smaller pop culture world without him. It definitely yeah. is. You know, we, we can move on, but I just want to say yeah. one more thing. I've always had this image in my head when I want to explain what I think. And I wasn't there either, but based on everything I know, what I think the Lee Kirby collaboration was like. And I always have this image of like it's 1962, Stan and Jack are walking down the street and they're walking past an empty lot. Stan keeps walking. Jack stops and he's staring at this empty lot and says, wait, I'll be right back. Stan goes, where are you going? Jack runs back. He's got like wood and hammers and nails. And then he runs into this lot, clears it out and builds this amazing house, right? And Stan's like, oh, my God, that's an incredible house you just built. And then, you know, Kirby's done. He wanders off. And Stan goes, wait a minute. And Stan goes in and he, he, he puts down some seed and some flowers and he puts in a brick walk and he paints the house in amazing colors. And he goes inside and he paints and puts in furniture and hangs things on the wall. And then he goes on the roof and starts ringing a bell saying, everybody come see the greatest house that's ever been made. And people come and he comes to the front door and he invites them in and he gives them tours, you know. So – Jack could have built a house like that on his own, but Stan added so much to the house and then was able to bring people into the house and, and tell them how great it was. Do you know what yes, I mean? Absolutely. It was, and, and, and by the time Stan's up there ringing the bell, Jack's already in the next slot building another house he's not even thinking about. It, you know? That's but, a good analogy. Absolutely, man. It's yeah. the combination of those two skills. You know, uh, It's amazing. Really amazing. No question. I, I was pouring through – I was just telling you about some of the YouTube rabbit holes I've been going down. And when Stan passed away, I went back and found that black and white 1968 Stan Lee show that he made where he. Yeah, yeah, I I tweeted that out a few weeks ago. I had never seen it before. Yeah, neither had I. The counterculture journalist that he was talking to, like on a panel show. Very, very interesting. And then his uh, game show appearance on To Tell the Truth. Right. I've seen that, too. (laughs) The one I couldn't find was him on Mike Douglas with George Carlin and Joan Rivers. And I remember this vividly as a little wow, kid. Do you know what I'm talking about? No, I never saw that one. They had a they almost at the end of the show, they had a superhero fashion show. And Joan was dressed as Wonder Woman, but she wore a cape so she she didn't have to like show up in the, you know, onesie or whatever. Right. And uh George Carlin was dressed as Spider Man 
And in typical Carlin fashion, he points to himself and goes, the spider. And then he points to his crotch and goes, and the fly. You know, and and Stan was dressed as Captain America and he didn't wear the mask, but he wore the costume and he looked great. And I think Mike Douglas was dressed as uh, Superman at the end and he came out last. But, yeah, they, you know, typical Mike Douglas kind of panel back and forth and everything. But, yeah, those were the three people. It was really interesting. And I was hoping to find it. Couldn't find it. Let us pause while most of your listeners go, who's Mike Douglas? (laughs) (laughs) No kidding. I know. Again, mostly this. Yeah, this is a conversation to indulge Mark and myself. You guys just happen to be along for the ride. But that's okay. Because we're going to talk about new stuff as well. Hey, yeah. um, before we get to your creator your own stuff, yeah. I am so excited for you with this association with the uh, Constantine cartoon. And and also, not only, you know, in typical Warner Animation fashion that it goes out direct to video, it's a great story. But to get um, a nice showcase on the CW that was half, hey, Legends of Tomorrow are, are coming, you know, next week. But in the meantime, enjoy this Constantine cartoon. I know. I was kind of – I didn't even know about it in advance until I saw some ad for it somewhere. And I was like, holy Moses. <laughs> it, it's interesting because this – the Constantine – it's called Constantine City of Demons. Mm-hmm. And the way it was done was really interesting because like obviously they're playing with new media. I, I wrote it as a full-length film. And what they did then is they broke it up into these little five-minute episodes, which they put the first five, I think, on CW Seed – Last March, I went out to WonderCon. We had a big premiere. Matt uh, Ryan was there. It was really a lot of fun. Cool. They released those. And then we were just at New York Comic Con for the release of the full-length movie. So they put out the whole movie, which has material that you'll never see on CWC. And I have to plug it that way so people sure. will buy it. You can also stream it. You don't have to buy the DVD. You can stream it on Amazon and Google Play and all that. And now, and then they will eventually show the rest of the episodes on um on cw seed i guess maybe early next year or something so it's it's being released in all these different formats and i didn't i had no clue it was going to be on prime time you know so that was really interesting it's been it's been out in many many different forms and shapes but i have to say it's one of the best anime i've done a lot of animation the past 15 years tons of it and this was one of the best projects i've ever been involved with Uh, you know sometimes you work on a project and the creative part of it is really great, and it's really, really fun. And then the project comes out, and you go, oh, it really didn't work. It was fun to work on, but it didn't work out the way I wanted. And sometimes working on it is hell, and the result is you have a great project. This was one of those rare projects where working on it was just a delight from day one. And then it turned out to be just a really, really great film I'm really, really proud of. Uh, the directing, the acting, every level is just really, really uh, – Really superb. And if you're a Constantine fan, and if you're a fan of Constantine from the comics especially, this is as close to the Hellblazer that we know from Vertigo as you're going to see uh, on screen anywhere. Uh, really um, just a delightful project for me from beginning to end. I understand. And again, you're 100% right. It nails the Constantine idea and the Hellblazer form of Constantine. And yeah, I, I think it's great. Matt Ryan is such a perfect actor, and it is so wonderful that he has had the time and willingness to maintain this relationship with the character. And, you know, that, that as soon as it was on NBC, I think a lot of us are like, okay, I, let's hopefully get through, through at least a season, maybe two. Right. And right. so to only get 13 episodes, it was really disappointing. But then for him to, you know, do Justice League Dark, to do City of Demons, and then true to, to be part of Legends of Tomorrow yeah. and always be 
the Matt Ryan Constantine. That's great. When you were writing it, as you say it, it is. It's very Hellblazer and stuff. But I'm sure you've like seen enough Matt Ryan Constantine to like how much of it was writing for his voice as well. Yeah, I have to, you know, usually I, I create the character's voices, my own version in my head, but he is so identified with that character that in the writing it has to be him. I remember I was, I was working on the Justice League Dark comic book uh, when the mm-hmm. first ads came out for the Constantine TV series. And it, 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 it just looked like the character come to life. I'd, I'd look inside the comic and look at a drawing of Constantine and flip to the back cover, and it was the same guy. Um, it's, it's some of the best comics-to-screen casting ever, I think. Agreed. And he so perfectly embodies that character. And, and I was really glad I had a chance to meet him at WonderCon. Really nice guy, really down-to-earth, <clears throat> not uh, full of that Hollywood ego bloat. You know? Understood. Yeah, just a really, a really, really, really nice guy. And he seems to really appreciate uh, what's come his way with this character. Because it's the kind of thing, you know, it used to be when you were identified with one character like that, if God forbid you were identified with Captain Kirk or Mr. Spock, you had to fight your way out of that paper bag. Absolutely. In order, in order to break that. Right. But these days, you know, that that kind of pop culture fame is is a very different animal, and it opens the door on lots of other things for actors. So uh, he he basically said he'd be very happy to be identified with Constantine for the rest of his life. He's just fine with it, and uh, and he should be fine with it because he just does a brilliant job. So as, as an aside, I wonder, you know, and don't get me wrong, the Birdman movie with Michael Keaton was Mm -hmm. from a technical standpoint so amazing and it's an interesting story but i hate to admit it but the one thing that was in the back of my head was they set up that oh he's typecast and he can never do anything else and i'm like that's an 80s and 90s problem and earlier i'm like that doesn't exist anymore downey has proved that chris nolan has proved or uh chris um the the batman of the chris nolan movies oh 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 batman of the chris nolan movies now we're both going to blame. Yeah, exactly. Shame on us again. I can you know. see his face, and now I can't think of his name. Well, and that's because we know him in The Mechanic, and we know him in The Fighter, right. and, and, and all these other movies that he continues to do, right. and the Terminator movie. Yeah, it's it's not it's not a problem anymore, and that's that was really – every time they would be like, oh, you know, he's been Birdman for so long, he can't do anything else, and this is such a gamble. And I'm like, yeah, we must be in the 90s because that's not a problem anymore. Right. Christian Bale. Christian Bale, boy. Well done. You win. What do we have for him, Johnny? <laughs> I, I win this game show because I used Google while we were talking. That's all right. You did good. That's <laughs> no, I can't man, lie. I can't lie. <laughs> so that's great. So um, the City of Demons movie is complete and available now. And as you say, yeah. has, has a lot of other scenes that, that weren't in the chapters or certainly not on the, the and, TV and presentation. And won't, be, and won't be in the chapters that come out either. There's an extra, I think, 20 minutes on the, in, the, in the full-length movie that's not on the CWC. Interesting, but it is available now. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Okay, cool. That's cool. Well, you know, and honestly, and I, I don't expect you to, you might have an answer to this, but I don't know. Um, the CW Seed and DC Universe, I'm like, oh, well, then maybe they're going to ditch the CW Seed or fold in everything that was at the Seed onto DC Universe. And it's like, no, those are two separate apps still. And one yeah, is they are. I'm, I'm actually, and I can't say what it is, but I'm working on another DC related animated thing for CW Seed right now. So, Interesting. And that's where it's going to be. It's going to be the same thing as Constantine with the, with the episodes and then the full-length movie. And uh, I think they think there are two different audiences for that because I think they know the hardcore – like a hardcore Constantine fan is going to want the movie. And then there maybe there's a more casual watcher who would want to watch it on CWC but not spring for the movie. So I think maybe they think there are 
they're working two different audiences there. I understand, and you're right, and there is that kind of schism between uh, television superhero fans and hardcore comic book fans, yeah. and it, and it's certainly funny, and I know you see it as well when you go to the conventions and uh, the two streams of fandom that are oh, now yeah. coming I think through. that's one of the reasons why conventions have so exploded in recent years is that there's a whole other mass of fans that know these characters from TV, uh, from movies, from video games – and will never in a million years pick up a comic book. It's kind of sad, but but they are enthusiastic fans of these characters, and 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 they're not comic book fans. The other thing I was astonished to discover, because I knew Constantine was popular, but doing the promo for this for City of Demons, there's a huge Constantine audience out there, and I think a lot of them as well know him from the TV series, and and maybe uh, hopefully they'll they'll uh, wheel back and go read some comic books along the way, but. Uh, it's, it's amazing. It's like a separate audience. And I'm discovering over the years from doing animation that there's hardcore animation fans that love and follow all these DC animated things, but maybe don't read all the comics. So it's, it's, it's one of the things that really like makes my head explode. I don't understand why with the huge popularity of these movies, it doesn't feed back into the comics more. I think the only time that ever happened was with the first Tim Burton Batman movie, which I think really had an impact on the Batman sales for a year or two there. I understand. But, Would you say when you were younger, though? I, I, please finish your thought, and then I'll ask the question. Well, that, that was basically the end of it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, I was going to ask because I, I, I go through this as well in my mind and in conversation with others as well. But then I have to remember it's like – and someone even asked me and said, what was your first exposure to comics? And I'm like, well, you know, I was born in 64, yeah. and even before I was able to read comic books, and I mean, I remember 12-cent and 15-cent comics as at a very early age. But that said, George Reeves' Superman, uh, right. the Ralph Bashke Spider-Man TV uh, cartoon, right. Right. certainly Adam West and Batman. I'm like, so those things were there. They were in my mind at a very early age and led me to the comics. So, you know, I don't know. And it's funny because I'll ask other generations. And there are certainly those that grew up with the Batman animated series. Right. And I love the fact that people like Devin Grayson, one of the best writers out there, that was her entry point and, and certainly became a great comic book writer. So your age and stuff. Yeah. Well, I mean, was, you know, George Reeves Superman? What were the what were the things that were on television? Yeah. Or, I mean, or whatever. When I was, you know, I, I, I've got about 10 years on you. So, you know, the George Reeves Superman was was uh, was on television. Sure. I, and but. You know, here's the thing with me, though. I couldn't tell you when I started reading comics because I don't remember uh, not reading comics. Uh, okay. It's a weird thing. I don't know who first gave them to me, but as far back as my mind will stretch, I remember having comics. Um, and and I know, my, you know, I would go take a walk with my father in the evening when he'd go buy the evening paper, something that people don't do anymore. Sure. And he'd buy me a comic book. What are we springing for? 10 to 12 cents? What's the big deal? You know? Yep. So they were just always there. So TV didn't necessarily, didn't drive me to, to comics. And really what was there to see when I was a kid, except for the George Reeves Superman show. Okay. I, I remember coming home from school, like in the first grade, I think it was, and, and, and or maybe even younger. And my mother saying, why she told me, I don't know. Look in the newspaper. Superman killed himself. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Holy cow. I look back and I go, wait a minute. Why did you tell me that? <laughs> <laughs> and Santa Claus hung himself in the bathroom. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and the Easter Bunny's got his foot caught in a trap. He had to chew it off. Um, but, um, yeah. What about – so, so, you know, the big thing for me was when I was in junior high was the Batman TV show. That was like – that was like huge because 
the Superman TV show didn't look like a comic book. It really, you know, it didn't have all those other elements and it was in black and white. So it was, you know, you had one guy in a costume and then a bunch of thugs with guns, you know, that he could, yep. you know, bonk their heads together. Exactly. Uh, you know, occasionally, <laughs> occasionally they do something, you know, bigger and cooler, but mostly it was him bonking guys' heads together, you know? Oh, totally. much as I loved that show and thought George Hughes was great. Oh, he was amazing. And, and you know, it's, there's a huge difference, too, in that first season with Phyllis Coates. Yes. And then oh, it became more of a kid's show because I always say uh, – and, and my comparison is the 70s Shazam Captain Marvel show mm-hmm. and how benign the action was on that show. I'm like, my God, that makes the first season of Superman look like Pulp Fiction. Oh, yeah. Well, the first the first season, the villains were throwing old ladies in wheelchairs downstairs. Yes. I mean it was really – it was kind of like Superman film noir. The yes. First- and then you're right, because a few years back when my daughter was a little younger, I, I, I we watched a whole bunch of them. So we started and we watched them chronologically. And by the time you get to like season three, it's like, what happened? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it gets really, it gets really ch- children yeah. level the entertainment. And but that's you know, fine. But Batman was it, to me in the seventh grade. It was like. That looks like a comic book. Lots of people in costumes, um, and I didn't even have a color TV yet at that age. But it didn't wow. matter. It just, it just, you know, I remember just seeing the commercials before it came on, and it, oh my god, it's Batman and the Riddler, and it looks like a comic. I could not wait, and and it took me quite a while to admit to myself that maybe the show wasn't meant to be taken seriously. You know. Yeah, well- <laughs> I was so hardcore. I couldn't admit it, you know? It was the – well, I always say it's like the, the three stages of Batman. When you're a little kid, it is high drama and high action. And then right. you get that adolescent period where you're like, oh, this is too corny. And, yeah, maybe you know, it's, maybe it's not as good as I thought it was. And then around college or high school, it hits you. Oh, they're, they're purposely being funny. And then yeah. you're like, my God, this is a great comedy. Right. And you realize right. the genius of the deadpan, you know – acting of adam west and just right. the lunacy of it and yeah now it's you know amazing again and and yeah i true luckily unlike stanley i never got a chance to really sit down and have any time with stan i did get a chance a couple times to talk to adam west oh that's great and yeah he was he was incredible and we were talking about people like lorenzo semple who wrote so many of the episodes and wrote the movie um yeah it was just a great formula and uh, and I'm glad that it now gets its due because I felt that was another thing that fandom, you know, was just a little too harsh about. And it's like, yeah, it's supposed to be ridiculous. You know, well, it's ridiculous. I don't like it. It's like, well, it's supposed to be ridiculous. It's okay. Another one of those things that over time people have have embraced. Yeah. For a while, it was not cool, and then people embraced it. I think also there was that that sort of damage that it did. That for 40 years afterwards, every article about comic books <laughs> had to start zap pal bam. You know? Yes. Didn't matter, it, didn't matter if it was about mouse. Zoom, Will Eisner is a contract with God, you know? And it's like, <laughs> 100%, um, man. Okay, let's take a break from the conversation and tell you a little bit more about our friends at Aftershock Comics. Now, again, it's the Christmas season, and sometimes you do. You rack your brains. What are you going to get for your favorite person um, that they don't already get? Because sometimes you do. You pick up that Superman trade, that uh, X-Men trade, and it's like, yeah, I already got it. Thanks. So, you know, you don't want to mess up. But the great thing is at Aftershock Comics, you will find tons of genres that you love by your favorite writers and artists. And they're doing great original stories that uh, might have slipped through the cracks. They shouldn't, though, because I'm telling you, Mike Martz and Joe Pruitt, the two creative minds behind Aftershock Comics, are out there uh, talking to their friends in comics and saying, hey, come on over to Aftershock. If you got a story, uh, let's hear about it. Maybe we'll want to print it. 
And you get things like the Spy Series, Jimmy's Bastards from Garth Ennis and Russ Braun, Pestilence from Frank Thierry, and Oleg Akunov, where the 14th century Black Plague from history is actually revealed as the first zombie outbreak. You can get the first trade now. Give that as a Christmas gift. And the great thing is the second trade is coming out in early January. So, uh, you know, if they like the first volume of The Pestilence, they're going to get volume two in early January. There's Baby Teeth, year one, the hardcover from Donnie Cates and Gary Brown, the first ten issues of the series. That is coming out December 5th. Or the brand new first original graphic novel from Aftershock, Witchhammer. It's great. Cullen Bunn, Dalibor Talajic. It's in stores December 19th. These creators came to Aftershock to tell their kind of stories with no rules, no forced continuity, just a new platform to tell fresh, great concepts. Now, in the weeks ahead and days ahead, we'll be talking to more Aftershock creators about their books. I mean, I'm talking about people like Steve Orlando. We're going to talk to Frank Thierry. Uh, eventually, we're going to be talking to Marguerite Bennett about animosity and uh, so many more, man. I, I got to tell you, I'm, I'm really happy because in a lot of cases, this, these are the first times I get to talk to uh, some of these creators and uh, my old friends as well that are working at Aftershock. Paul Jenkins is over there. My dear friend, Phil Hester. Uh, truly, I mean, these are, these are great people that over the years, I've forged these nice associations and, uh, you know, I, I would say friendships. And uh, it's only meant uh, for deeper conversation here at Word Balloon. And it's terrific that not only am I working with Aftershock in terms of sponsorship, they're working with Aftershock. So uh, it, it's, a, it's a win-win for us and a win for you and maybe somebody as well on your Christmas list. Do yourself a favor. Go to AftershocksComics.com. You will find full story descriptions, preview pages, and also the diamond codes on their books to order through your local comic shop. It's all waiting for you at AftershockComics.com. All right, let's get back into our conversation now with Mark DiMatteis on Word Balloon. But that's why it's so amazing now. Uh, we're living in this golden age of, of, of superhero media where wherever you look, you know, you, you can literally turn on the TV virtually any night of the week and there's a superhero show on. Every other week, there's a new movie that comes out, not to mention the animated shows and the video games. It's, you know, if I could go back in time and tell my little 12-year-old self what's going on now, he would pass out from excitement. You know? 100%. It's, it's, really, it's really incredible to the point where I think now it, I'm getting a little numb to it. it. It takes a really great superhero movie now to get me really, really, really excited. I understand. I, I, have, liked, um, I have liked the Marvel movies, certainly. I think DC is still finding its footing in the movie world, with the exceptions of Wonder Woman. We'll see what uh, Aquaman is like in a couple weeks. Um, but I do, uh, I, you know, and even from a television standpoint, but I agree with you. I, I don't, well, I don't, I, I don't know if I worry about oversaturation or not, but I, I do understand what you're saying. I'm certainly excited about the Elseworlds crossover that's yeah. coming for the CB, yeah. CW shows because those are always incredibly fun. I thought last year's was great, you know, yeah. with, with yeah. EarthX and everything. So, yeah, I'm, I'm excited. And, and, and again, I think uh, the shows still intrigue me, I, I, especially Arrow right now. I, th- I think Arrow is really kicking ass right now. Yeah, the CW shows have been great. I mean, all this stuff is very, very well done. For me as an audience member, and maybe it's because I spend so much of my time with these characters anyway, the, it's, it, I don't think the, the audience out there is saturated. I feel a little oversaturated. So it takes a little bit more. Like I watch these movies and I'll go, well, that, that was really fun. And then I forget about it, and it doesn't really have a lasting impact. And I realize if you just isolate one of these movies and, and go back in time 10 years ago and imagine watching it 10 years ago, you would be – your jaw would be on the floor. Because, but, we, but because we see them so often, 
I think I'm just a little bit like, okay, now we're in the third act and there's a lot of explosions. I get it. And yeah. clever clips, I get it. Uh, um, not that I don't appreciate them, but I just think there's so much of that for me as an audience member. I'm just a little more numb to it. So it takes a little more for me to go, wow, that was really good. And that's what was it last year the Wolverine movie came out? The, um, <laughs> yes, Logan. Uh, well, it was or maybe it was 16. What, but, what, uh, yeah, maybe it was. But like that was one of them where I went. That was that wasn't a good superhero movie. That was just a really good movie. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. And, and so I, I wait for those, the ones that like take me to that next step now of like, that was that was you know, I need that extra oomph. And I, I, hear you, man. I enjoy them all and I see them all and I enjoy them all. But uh, to get that kind of thrill that you got with, say, the first Christopher Reeve Superman movie or the, the early Spider-Man movies or X-Men movies or e- even the first Captain America movie, which I totally adore. Yeah. Um, it, and it's only because there's just so much of it. Like, it's just like special effects, you know. Uh, Terminator 2, the special effects were absolutely blew our minds or The Matrix when we saw it for the first time. And now you t- you watch a commercial that has the same a yes. high level of special effects yes. as the movies did, so we're not like wowed by it in the same way. So it takes more, I think, to wow us, or at least wow me as an audience. And and that more has to always be about the character, and that's why I like that Wolverine movie so much. I'm not even a big Wolverine fan; never particularly cared for that character. I loved that movie; I thought it was really, really good. No, I completely agree with you about Logan. It's it's an exceptional movie, and I, you know, I keep making the comparison to the hoop, the superhero genre films to the westerns because we got a, a shit ton of westerns from the silent era all the way, you know, certainly through modern day. It had a little lull in the '80s, but they were still there, and. As much as they would grind them out every now and then, you know, you would get a stagecoach. You'd get High Noon. You'd right. get those Bud Bedecker uh, movies, and and they were the ones that would stand out. And I think with Logan, also from a from a you know fun raunchy comedy standpoint, with the Deadpool movies, right. those right. are the films that are really stretching the medium. Or then you get a big blockbuster. I mean, Infinity. I wanted to know as a Marvel writer what your your thoughts were about Infinity War specifically. Oh, I I enjoyed it. I have to say, and I have to frame it in what I was saying before. Yeah, uh, I did. I wasn't bowled over by it or anything, okay. but I I thoroughly enjoyed it. In fact, I think I, I think I enjoyed it uh, out of the the three Avengers movies. It's the one I enjoyed the most. Um, but uh, you know, it was it was an enjoyable movie. What else? I, you know, I don't know what else to say. It did sure. not impact me the way, say, the Wolverine movie did. Okay, because to me, to Echo. me that that was the one. That felt the most like a Marvel event comic book because all the franchises were right on top of each other. And it really it literally did to me feel like, hey, the Guardians movie just invaded the Avengers movie. Right. And suddenly has taken a different point of view with Iron Man trying to figure out these numbskulls. And it was it was great. As you say that. And and I realize that this what I'm saying and this is not a knock on that movie it was it was, a, it was an incredibly well done movie and it deserved its success so I'm not I'm not knocking it in any way shape or form but I realized just as as a writer I prefer a narrower focus on character you know if you look sure. at Craven's Last Hunt it's essentially about three characters you know Spider-Man uh, Craven and Vermin with a little bit of Mary Jane on the on the side and that's it and it goes on for six six yeah. issues yeah. I like to dive deep the Wolverine movie was more focused you know, it was it, it yeah. wasn't big. It was not a big epic. It was it was really character driven, and that's just that's just my nature as a writer and as an audience. I prefer that. After a certain point, the epic and the spectacle becomes white noise to me. 
I can appreciate that, man. But Absolutely. That's just me. Yeah, you know what I mean? And, yeah, and but- so please don't anyone write me letters and <laughs> I, I'm not knocking the movies at all. I think they, the, the Marvel movies have been phenomenal and I really enjoy them. I'm just saying that for me, I need, I need to take it to another level uh, for me to like really, really be knocked out by these things now. And it's mainly because they've done such a good job so consistently for so long that we almost take it for granted, if you know what I mean. I understand that. And again, that your, your stories are so narrowly character focused, uh, going sane. The Joker story that yeah, you told, exactly. Yeah. You know, and another. I always like to point out my favorite uh, Demetrius story is uh, your Captain America run, where it ends with you know the skull and Captain America literally like fighting hand to hand, and that great. Uh, I hate the word penultimate, but it but it fits in this case. Uh, the second to last chapter when the skull puts Cap in a virtual reality machine and he gets to save Bucky. Right, and it has that ama- that great cover. Was that Zek? I don't. Well, it's been a while. I know. Sorry, buddy. I know. I don't mean to keep like, you know, no, damn it. Remember this thing from 1975 right now. Um, but no, it was, you know, it was the recreation of that, that classic moment of Captain Bucky hanging off the drone and you know what's going to happen. And also just on the interiors, this shocked look on Bucky's face and this like elation on Steve's face. Like I saved you. I always knew I could save you. And then all of a sudden the virtual reality ends and it's the skull, and he's like, "Okay, good. I've put your mind to ease. Now let's fight." And it's like, "Wow! Oh my God! Look what's coming! Holy shit!" But so again, yeah, there was a know. story that was really, you know, it was there were there were obviously other characters involved, but it was so focused on the two of them. And that's yeah. just my preference as a writer. And not that I haven't written big epic things over the years and lots of team books, but yes. that's that's more my wheelhouse as as a writer and as an audience, which is why. Um, which is why I guess, you know, I, 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 I don't need every movie to tie into every other movie. Do you know what I mean? I, I don't need, I don't need cameos by the other characters. If I'm going to go see a Spider-Man movie or an Iron Man movie or whoever it is, tell me a story about that character. I don't need the rest of the Marvel universe to show up. But I also know that for 90% of the audience, that's what they want. And they do it really <laughs> well. You know, that's, they do it really well. So why not? Well, there's room for both. I mean, and again, that's what's exciting right now about the genre is we're just at the beginning of them really experimenting with the genre. And, you know, Ant-Man being the comedy that it was compared to, you know, the other movies and stuff. No, I think there's room to grow. And I, and that's why I'm not I'm not worried about saturation from that standpoint. And it's like I said, I keep making the Western comparison. So yeah. I yeah. think we're OK. But uh, well, moving on to other uh, current projects and the like, uh, let's let's talk about your creator-owned book that you're doing again. I'm I'm happy to see you and uh, Mike Cavallaro uh, teaming up again. Your Savior Twenty Eight story is is one of my recent uh, Dimitri's favorites, and uh, I'm you. glad you guys are back together again on this new story. So you're midway through it. Tell us about the book. Yeah, uh, you know, Mike is he's one of my favorite collaborators. We did Savior Twenty Eight together. We we've done a, a several other things together. Most recently, we did a story for the uh, Where We Live uh, anthology that was raising yes the victims of the last Las Vegas shooting, and yeah. um, and it was really a, a, a sad project, but one I was very proud to be part of. And just Mike is you know Mike is one of those guys. He pencils, he inks, he colors, he letters, he does everything, you know, and he does it really well. And then he has the audacity to be a really nice guy on top of that. It's just incredible. <laughs> 100%. So you know we we've been, this is a project we've been talking about. God, must going back at least to 2010 or so. Okay. And it started with a conversation about Silver Age comics. Uh, those those sort of wonderful Superman Batman stories 
that on one level were like so ridiculous, but on another level were so filled with imagination and 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 so kid friendly. And and so well, how do we take that sort of concept and rework it and 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 do it now with a contemporary spin, meaning um, that level of imagination and fun. And also, you know, we're both big Kirby fans. So you see a lot of Kirby, a lot of sort of fantastic four slash Kirby influence in this thing. Uh, but just sort of recast it and, and make it our own and have fun with it so that hopefully anyone can pick it up. You know, you could give it to your 10 year old niece or you could give it to your 70 uh, year old uncle and everyone will enjoy it. And so we cooked up this big cosmic adventure. Uh, one writer friend of mine said it reminded him of sort of a, a combination of the best elements of of Doctor Who and Doc Savage and the Fantastic Four. I'll take that. That sounds like a great description. Absolutely. Wow. I hope, I hope it's half that good, you know? Um, but it, it, it is. It's, it's, uh, our main character is a 17-year-old a genius named Number Horowitz. And uh, her father was this sort of Doc Savage, uh, Reed Richards figure, but he disappeared when she was seven years old. And she's had to take over the family business, which is called Impossible Incorporated. And they have this... Uh, this train called the non-local express that travels across dimensions and explores what we call the infinite spiral, which is basically all of creation. And so it, it's, it's on the one hand, it's a, it's a big sort of uh, Kirby-esque Doctor Who-ish adventure across time and space. But it's also her search for her father and her own personal issues as, as she's still dealing years later with the loss of a father and her mother who died uh, when she was even younger. So it's a personal story and a cosmic story. And uh, we're just having a, a, a great time with it. And as you know, these independent creator-owned books, it's hard to find a footing in the marketplace when you've got so much other stuff coming out just from Marvel and DC, let alone from all the other companies. So I appreciate the chance to be here and just let people know about it because I'm sure there are lots of people that know and like my work and have no clue this book is even out there. Uh, so the third issue comes out next week, November 28th. Cool. I'm sure, you can still get the first two, and uh, it's a five-issue mini. And if it goes well, we can we can play with these characters uh, forever because we ha- literally have uh, the entire uh, multiverse to play with in this series. That's excellent, man. And no, I know that you have, in particular, in the last few years, as well as adult stories, you have been doing a, a lot of uh, all ages stories as well. And I'm glad that IDW uh, is uh, backing you up with this. And the one you did, and I'm forgive me, the Greek artist that you worked with. Uh, uh, Vasilis, Godzillas. Yes, yeah, indeed. The Adventures of Augusta Wind. Um, yes. Which there's and, of course, Abadazad. Yeah, there's two volumes of Augusta Wind out there. Uh, Stardust Kid that I did with Mike Plug is uh, Boom just put out a new edition uh, last year. Fantastic. Um, and, yeah, and of course, Abadazad, which I can't talk about without getting emotionally uh, stressed. <laughs> All right, I understand. <laughs> Tom Waters. It's I can appreciate that. Yeah, I understand. And hey, um, no, I'm I'm so impossibly no. It sounds it sounds great. Tell us about some of the other creators that, or the rather uh, characters that are uh, in Impossible Inc. So so we have her father that she's searching for. She has her her stepbrother who uh, was an orphan that her father adopted from India. She has her aunt who is a basically a techno psychic, meaning she's psychic, but it's because she's had psychic implants put into her head. Hilarious. And then. And then her father's partner in the business, uh, whose name is Elias Walter, uh, who is sort of the old uncle figure. So it's these four, the four of them traveling across time and space 
uh, having a great time. And, and uh, Elias Walter, he was named for Walt Disney because Walt Disney's name is Walter Elias Disney. So I just flipped it around. Hilarious. Uh, I didn't, even, I didn't even catch that. That's great. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, I just would encourage anyone that. And I, I also want to say something. Too, you know, I, he, I always hesitate to label these things as all ages because I know there's a certain part of the audience that goes, oh, it's all ages. It's not for me. It's not cool. Enough. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a good, solid story that I hope anyone can enjoy. But it's nice to have something that anyone can enjoy and that I can turn around and give to my a seven-year-old nephew, you know, and say, here, I can give this to you without worrying, you know. <laughs> I understand. The other thing we tried to do with this story, too, was was have a really great adventure story that doesn't depend on violent confrontation, where there's lots of great concepts and lots of exciting things happening, but it's not about two guys dropping buildings on each other's heads. And and, and that was really important to us. And I think and I haven't written the fifth issue yet, but I think we're going to get to the end without anybody punching anybody. So that's that's kind of miraculous. Well, and that's been a hallmark of a lot of your recent work. And again, I go I go back to Savior 28 yeah. uh, as as a, a point, the, one of the main points of of that story. And I know you feel really, real strongly about that. And, yeah, that is a that's a tough trick to do is to have yeah. conflict and, and, and high adventure. Without, you know, people punching each other or, or shooting at each other or whatever. And that's what I meant about the, the Superman stories uh, from when I was a kid. Um, not so much imitating the stories themselves, but they were filled with imagination. And if you look at those old stories, 90% of the time, Superman is not fighting with a villain. There's, you know, there, there are villains, there's interesting things going on. But it's, you know, it, it's, it's sort of in a weird way reminds me of Kirby because you look at some of those little eight-page Superman stories – and in eight pages, there's so many concepts that they throw out yes. that you could just – you could do a 12-issue maxi series based on eight pages. And, 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 and it's just like Kirby where you know, you'd read a Kirby story, especially when he got to DC in the 70s. And every other page, you could pull out a concept and write a novel about it. And he would just throw it out there, move on to the next mind-bending concept. You know? I so, do. You know, his war stuff in particular, I always loved. When he was writing The Losers and drawing it. I thought that was such a great collection of stories. Yeah. You know, you know. believe it or not, that's the curse that I have never read. As much, as much as I love Kirby and I've read so much, I've never read that and I've heard phenomenal stuff about it. Yeah. So so you, have they collected that? It is. Uh, you know, those Jack Kirby uh, collection uh, hardcovers, there was one of the losers. And yeah, yeah man, you know, and truly, uh, it's so funny when it comes to DC, it is now not so much the horror, just because I'm not a horror fan per se, but it's the Westerns. The war comics, the science fiction comics, a lot of the anthologies, that's what I look for in the dollar bins is a lot of that, you know, 70s and 80s stuff that was kind of near the end of when they were putting that stuff out. But truly, Kaniger and Kubert and, yeah. uh, you know, God, Russ Heath and, and all these one and Kirby was part of that mix as well. Yeah. Uh, no, they're, they're really interesting stories. And like you say, they are most of the time. It's eight, eight pages. It's usually some incredible uh, I'm sure to make it a, a more affordable book from a production standpoint. You get incredible Filipino artists and other European artists. Right. Right. Oh, it was it was just fantastic. Did you ever do any of that uh, anthology stuff early in your career? Oh, the, not not the war anthology. I did only the, DC had one war anthology that lasted a short time. I don't even remember the name of it that I did one story for. And I was always, but I did write a lot for Weird War Tales. Oh, very cool. I love Weird War Tales. When, when, when I started at DC, that was how they broke you in. You were writing for House of Mystery, House of Secrets, Weird sure. Tales. So you learned your craft writing five-page stories, eight-page eight stories. And I remember the big, big scare when I had to write a 22-page story. It was like, oh, my God, can I do this? You know? <laughs> 
<laughs> and I wrote a tw- like a 22 page weird war tales, and it was like, oh my god! And I was getting paid paid I think thirteen dollars a page, and I got that check, and I lived off it for an entire summer. You know? Wow, that's awesome! Yeah. I just- <laughs> Who was your editor for those? It was a great way to learn. It was a great way to learn. And it's funny that you talk about the war comics. You know, I am so like anti-violence, anti-war. But when I was a kid, I loved the war comics. Yeah. Before I ever read the Marvel superhero stuff, I was reading Sergeant Fury before I ever read the superhero stuff. And I loved the Kubert Sergeant Rock and – yeah. Uh, who was the Native American guy? Johnny Cloud. Johnny Cloud, absolutely. One of the original losers, certainly. Yeah, all that stuff. I, I, I loved it as a kid. And I look back and I'm thinking, that's so interesting that I was so into that. And it's so not me. You know? Yeah, but a lot of those were character pieces, too. Yeah, they were. It's true. They really were. And, you know, Sergeant, Sergeant Fury, it's Lee and Kirby. What do you, you know, how can 100%. you go wrong? You know, how can you go wrong? And Dick so, Ayers. I'm a big yeah, Dick Ayers fan. That's as well. right. Dick Ayers. Dick Ayers. I'm trying to think. I feel like. He, might, he drew the. I think it might be the first story of mine that I ever saw print was in Weird War Tales. It was called. Are you ready for this? It was called the Blood Boat. It was about a. <laughs> it was about a PT boat in World War II that picks up the survivor on the sea, and the guy turns out to be a vampire. Fantastic. <laughs> you know, all in eight pages, kids. All in eight pages. Boom. And it was, and it was drawn by Dick Ayers. You know, when wow. I started out, it was really a lot of those guys were still working. Sure. So, you know, I had stories done by Dick Ayers, by uh, Gil Kane, um, Don Heck. Wow, uh, Don Heck. Amazing. Man. You know, yeah. and, and, and I look back, you know, then I went to Marvel and I worked on Conan with John Buscema and I did some yeah. Hulk stories that Gil Kane drew. And, and I look back now and I say, how lucky am I? That, that I got to work with those guys at all because, they you know, they weren't in the business that much longer after that. Well, that's, and, um, that's what I love about that Bronze Age era because you're right. And and it was great because it was, you know, those guys that literally can go back to the, the you know, definitely the 50s, if not the 40s, and, and still were, were very important creators. And, yeah, I, I do. I love that combination of, of writer and arse like that. So who was the who was the editor of Weird War Tales back then? Weird War Tales, uh, Paul Levitz. When I, oh, I saw okay. the first script to Paul Levitz and then uh, started selling to Jack Harris, if you remember Jack. We were of course. Editor who edited some of the other anthology books. And then Len Wein came on staff and he took over uh, House of Mystery and a few of the other books. And then they, they launched a, a science fiction anthology called Time Warp that I wrote a lot yes. of for. Got to work with Steve Ditko, for God's sake. Uh, wow. Science Too fiction cool. stories. Um so yeah, and working, you know, so so working with Paul and Jack and Lynn, who went on to really was my first real mentor in the business, the first guy that said, "Oh, you got something special here. I want to work with you and bring out this talent that I see in you." And you know, that's that's an amazing thing, something something so rare. And I am forever grateful to Lynn uh, for that. And of course, he became a dear friend as well. Um, okay. Yeah. So it was it was a great way to to learn. It was a great way to learn to just walk in and not have to be on a monthly book writing full-length stories, but to, you know, to tell a story with a beginning, a middle, and an end, and a character arc, and a, you know, a plot that really worked all in eight pages. You know, now sometimes people go on for six months, and you go, where was the story? <laughs> so yeah. uh, it's a, I think everybody should learn that way. Everybody should just be, you know, work, start on short stories, and then, then build out. I mean, when I went to Marvel, and I was like, Oh my God! I got to do a full length story every month. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what am I going to do? I, I mean, I ultimately figured it out, but uh, it was very intimidating. I notice, and you know, one of your great uh, works 
beyond your monthly Marvel work and your monthly DC work. And, uh, you know, we can we have in the past talked about the Boaha Boaha days of Justice League and uh, some of your great uh, classic Marvel runs that we even earlier mentioned. But Moonshadow was always this great moment. And, you know, the direct market was never shinier and more impressive as a reader walking in. And it's like, God, it's a whole store of comics. This is incredible. And there were so many great prestige productions and and you and John uh, doing Moonshadow was one of those event comics that it's like this is something different and so powerful. And I'm yeah, really excited that a, a definitive edition is coming out next year. Yeah, next next year, I think in March. And I'm not allowed to say from who because they haven't officially announced it. Although if you go look on Amazon, you'll be able to see because okay. they already put something up on Amazon. But it's going to be an ultimate edition, a hardcover. I've been through all my files. I found my original handwritten notes, old scripts, old proposals, lots of great stuff. So it's going to be really – will be the ultimate edition of Moonshadow. And that really was the series that, that transformed me as a writer because I got to step outside of the Marvel and DC universes – and just write the way I would write a novel, and it freed me in a way uh, I had never been freed before as a writer. And then I, you know, from that moment on, I continued, whether it was with um, Epic or Vertigo or Paradox Press, to always to make sure that I had my own creator own stuff going on, because it, it's that balance that I've I've needed as a creative person that's kept me in the business this long. I can't just do superheroes. I, I need to do other things. So I've been, you know, and then to get to, get to do the funny stuff with Keith, the personal yes. projects, autobiography like Brooklyn Dreams. And now yes. I'm really happy because I'm working with Karen Berger again. I got a new series for her Burger Books line that comes out next year in February uh, called The Girl in the Bay. So it's like going back to my vertigo roots and um, really just having such a great time with that as well. So the opposite end of the spectrum from Possible Incorporated. But that's the fun of this business. You know, Com- comics aren't one thing or the other. Comics are everything. And, I've, and yeah. I feel very lucky that I've been able to tell all different kinds of stories over the years, not just one kind of story. I know there are certain people out there that they love superheroes so much, they're really happy if that's all they ever do. And that's great, but I've never been that guy. I've always had to do something different along with it and so um, i'm very grateful that i've had the opportunities to do it and sometimes you have to create that opportunity yourself you know i've been having that same conversation with others even in broadcasting that are worried about you know consolidation and where's broadcasting going and dana gould the comedian on his podcast talked about that and this it's a life lesson that i've shared with others as well in terms of don't wait for the job your dream job create your dream job you can make it yourself in this in this current environment and also again you were thinking along those lines literally 30 years ago 35 years ago and i love that because as I, I like to compare a lot of your peers, the pinnacle was working for DC and Marvel. Mm-hmm. That was the high, the high mountain point. But again, going back to the 80s and like you said, things you did for Epic, things that you ultimately did for Vertigo and the like, you were thinking about creating your own stuff then. And now I always see for younger creators, DC and Marvel, somewhere between college and that first important career job. Because they kind of learn craft and structure. They've got heavier editorial hands. They have to play within the rules of the respective universe. Uh And then once they learn their craft and gather their audience, they can do an image book. They can do a book with another publisher and take that audience with them. Right, right. And then there's also the reverse, too. I see a lot of guys that start with indie comics 
and then make the leap over to Marvel and DC as well. Um, so, uh, but, but the opportunities are out there in a very broad way now, you know, Epic was, was, you know, that stuff was just starting back then. Yes. Tell me, tell me about Epic because I always ask people and unfortunately sometimes I pick a person, well, I only did one story and it's like, oh, okay. <laughs> so as someone who really was in the Epic world, tell me about Epic Illustrated. It, it was, well, this was, this, this was, they started with Epic Illustrated and then they, then they launched the Epic line of comics as, as an offshoot of that. And it was just, you know, the, the 80s were like an incredible time in comics because it was just exploding with creativity and creative freedom in ways that the business never had before. That's when royalties were also coming in. So, oh, my God, we were really making a living for the first time, you know. I hear you. Yeah. You know, I'd only really started, you know, I sold my first scripts in the late 70s, but I only really got, got traction in like in like 1980 or so. Okay. Um, and, um, you know, Moonshine, and, and so DC had started doing things like, I guess they were doing Ronin with Frank Miller. They did Camelot 3000. Uh, you know, Marvel had launched the Epic line. They just, they did Dread Star, I think was maybe the first thing they did. Sounds uh, right. Starlin. And it was like, there's all this great stuff going on. And I have all these ideas. I have to do this. It was, it, it reminds me, it's kind of like what the sixties must've felt like for rock and roll, you know, all these bands sure. creating all this stuff. And you'd look over there and look at what Alan Moore's doing over there. And look what Frank, look what Jim Starlin just, I got to get in on this and I got to put my album out, you know? <laughs> and that's kind of what Moonshadow was for me. I, I know uh, I got it. I got it. I have to have my voice heard, not my voice filtered through, um, through Spider-Man, but my voice. And, uh, and so, and the great thing was, uh, uh, Epic was, it was run by Archie Goodwin, who was as yes. nice a guy and as skilled an editor as ever. And we had people like, uh, Laurie Sutton and Margaret Clark and Dan Chichester were the editors working on staff, but their, their job was not to impose their will on us and put their vision on our work. Their job was to create a, a grounding for us to be free to tell our stories in exactly the way that we wanted to tell them and not get in our way and help us in any way they could. So it was really, really, really uh, a really free atmosphere. And I did Moonshadow, and then we followed it up with Blood right after that with Kent Williams. Yes. Uh, and it was just a phenomenal experience there. But I have to say the 80s in general kind of felt like that. Uh, you know, the two years I did on Dr. Fate at DC was in a way as personal – uh, uh, to uh, a run of comics as 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 Brooklyn Dreams, which was autobiography, you know, because the, uh, they gave me the freedom to take that book and bend it and twist it in any way that I wanted to, and nobody said boo when I did Craven's Last Hunt, uh, and I could not have done Craven's Last Hunt had I not gone and done Moonshadow first because that cracked me open as a writer, and I took all those lessons and brought it over, but I don't think anybody changed a comma in that story. That's great. You know, it was just, and, and that was sort of the atmosphere. It's like, be creative, experiment, be daring, go for it. And, and the, the, the comics, uh, we had great editors that we worked with, but the comics really was more from the creative people up as opposed to in recent years, I feel like the business, uh, for better or worse, it's, you know, it depends on your perspective. It's from the top down a lot more. Sure. A lot, no. a lot more coming from the top down. Um, but that's just my experience. You could talk to another writer who might have a totally different experience. I think your 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 case is kind of uh, uh, typical because, and and I and I think because of the scrutiny of the uh, rest of the company. I mean, that's the thing. I think for a long time, Warner just Warner's just kind of let DC do its own thing. And I, you know, I really got to talk to Paul about the DC implosion. And how he was able to save the comic book line and, and kind of tell the bigwigs, hey, think of us as like a little laboratory 
for intellectual properties, and you know we might create something. That, uh, you know, you saw what we did with Superman, or the success of Superman. Maybe there's other things that might be val- valuable to you that are, that are coming out from here. And now it really is hand in hand, and certainly with uh, DC's move to Burbank, yeah, it's very much part of of Warner Brothers' full structure. So I get it, and the same goes for Marvel too. I mean, you know, I I, I understand why, but you're absolutely right. I think it is very very different. So, but again, you're able to adjust because. You know, you're an old pro and you, you understand you understand the rules. Yeah, you have to adjust and every you know, everything is different. And if you want freedom, then complete freedom like that, go do your creator own book and have fun. You may not make uh, as much money or any money depending on how the project goes, you know. Sure. Um, uh, but but you will get to express yourself in as free and unfiltered a way as you as as you can in, in any medium really. Um and then there's the, just the joy of working on those other characters, which even after all these years is still a joy for me. You know, uh, that's, and that's doing the animation over these years. I've, between the comics and the, and the DC animation, I think I've gotten to write just about every DC character in existence. And it's still fun. It's still fun. You know, I did two different Batman movies, not to mention, you know, working on Batman Brave and the Bold. and just Two great Batman movies, by the and, way. But we've and, talked about them before. Yeah, Go on. You know, so – I like playing in all these different fields, and that's the fun of it. It, it. And I think as a freelancer, by any advice for a freelancer, I always say, remember the operative word is free. You have to always, you always have to keep these opportunities, all the balls rolling, all the balls in the air, because you never know as a freelancer when that door is going to shut on you. Because you could be, and I've seen it in my own career. You're the fair-haired boy on Monday, and on Wednesday you're out the door, and you don't know why you were the fair-haired boy, nor do you know why they threw you out the door. You know, so you always have to have something else cooking. So I like to be diverse in terms of the comic book work that I do. I always like to make sure I'm doing, you know, TV or movie work and other things. I've written novels. You know, you have to, you just have to keep all the doors open because. It really – I've seen it in my own life. It changes sometimes just on a dime, unexpectedly. All it takes is some new person steps into a position that wasn't there before and for whatever reason, they don't like your work as much as the last person did and then there's no work anymore. Yep. So you, you, you cannot – I always say don't have loyalty to a company. Have loyalty to the people that you work with. Have loyalty to your editors at the company. Have loyalty – to the artists that you work with, the colorists, the letterists that you work with. But to, to I, I think the concept of being loyal to Marvel or to DC or to any company, I'm not singling them out, is almost absurd because what does that mean? I Just in my time working in the business, I've seen a hundred different versions of Marvel come and go um, and different versions of DC. It's just this sort of, you know, huge uh, machine or this or this beast that keeps moving on and changes its colors and there's different people there and suddenly it's a completely different company but it has the same name but it's not the company that it was two years before so you can't be loyal to a company you have but but be loyal to the people that you work with that's that's you know and keep all the doors open always keep the doors open and do as, as work in as many different fields and genres as you possibly can well, and again, the the proof is in your work and and the projects that you're working on. Now, before we go into some other stuff, you mentioned Girl in the Bay. What yeah. can you tell us about it? I can only tell you the premise. <laughs> okay, uh, and it's and I think it's a great premise. It's an idea that I've had floating around in my head for a, a few years now. Starts in 1969 in Brooklyn. 
in my old stomping grounds. And, uh, you know, Karen, Karen and I know each other from Brooklyn before either one of us worked in comics. So this story means a lot to both of us because, oh, cool. because of the Brooklyn thing. Although it takes place in an era before us. It takes place in, in 1969. This girl's an 18-year-old uh, girl who uh, – Back in the days of sex and drugs and rock and roll and is hanging out at this bar one night and meets this guy and they go out to Sheep's Head Bay. They're standing on the dock by the bay. And long story short, he pulls out a knife, he guts her and he throws her in the bay. Wow. Um, while she's out of her mind on LSD at the same time. Wow. <laughs> Somehow, that's, a big, that's a big jump from Impossible Incorporated. Yeah, we're, we're definitely in different territory now. <laughs> that's cool, man. No, and that's amazing. Way, so, so then here's the so – she yeah. manages somehow to come up out of the bay. She doesn't know how. She staggers across the street back into the bar to discover that it's uh, not 1969 anymore. It's 2019. And then she discovers that in these 50 years that have passed – Someone else has lived her life. There's a 68-year-old version of her, uh, you know, with children and grandchildren who's lived an entire life in the, in the, in the 10 minutes that she feels like that she's been uh, floating, gutted in the bay. Wow. So that's the setup. That's the mystery. And then we explore that. It's a, it's a four-issue series. And again, this will tell a complete story in the four issues, but there'll be enough interesting open threads that there is a lot more to explore after that. But I'm working with a, a new artist named Corinne Howell. She's really, really good. And I'm ha it's so great to be working with Karen again. Aside from being one of the best editors in the business, she's one of my oldest and dearest friends. We, uh, uh, we've known each other long for more years than I'd care to count, as the cliche goes. Um, Karen was 17 years old when we met. So that's how long we know each other. Oh, wow. That's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. I, I, honestly, I've always been uh, impressed by Karen. I only had one opportunity to interview her. I'm hoping uh, they've they've dangled her in terms of, well, give it a little more time and we'll, we'll get you, Karen. I'm like, well, I hope so because I certainly have more to ask her. And, yeah, I've, I've always had tremendous respect. So yeah. glad that she is back and, and doing these very interesting books. Is yeah. this through Burger Books? That's her imprint through Dark that's Horse. That's her imprint right? at Dark Horse, yeah, exactly. Very cool. This that's excellent, man. No, and I'm glad that Mike Richardson is giving her the platform that was taken away from her as I shrug it because that's kind of what it was. And as you said, you can't be loyal to companies. You have to be loyal to people. Right. Uh, did make sense. And uh, I'm glad, again, Karen is a force out there. And as a great editor, always a great eye for talent and good concepts. And I love talking to some of the great Vertigo editors over the years. And I'm like a guy that's no longer at Vertigo, Will Dennis, who I have tremendous respect for his eye. And uh, now that he isn't at Vertigo, I get to talk to him more. And I felt the same way about Axel Alonso when he was at Vertigo. I mean, there's there's just a lot of great editors. Oh, yeah. Shelly Bond, who I work with a lot. Shelly Bond, a perfect example. I love Shelly. And, you know, the great thing with Karen is, uh, and, and I take a, a great amount of personal pride because uh, way back in the day, I was up at DC one day when I was just starting out, and Paul Levitt said, you know, I'm looking for somebody to be my assistant. This is when he was editorial coordinator, so he's looking for somebody to work more on the the scheduling side of things. And okay. I said, you know, I have this friend. She just graduated from Brooklyn College with a journalism degree. And he said, well, send her up here. You know, So I sent Karen up there, and the, and the rest is literally comic book history. And so um, I, take, I take great pride in seeing what – what Karen has built over these years, you know, she, and practically from day one, she had her own unique perspective, her own point of view, her own vision. And she built on that brick by brick and really, really built a corner of the comic book universe. That's very distinctly hers. And I'm, I am very proud of her. 
Uh, as I not agree more. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it's a couple of years ago, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm proud of her in a different way. A couple of years ago, uh, she and uh, Paul sat down at San Diego and had a, a great one-on-one kind of look mm-hmm. back at her career. And yeah. it's a tremendous interview. Uh, Jamie Covell, uh, another great guy who, uh, it, you know, runs around the uh, conventions and manages to capture some great convention panels. He has a, a website, and I've mentioned it before. I'm just telling you and I'm telling the listeners, thecomicbooks.com. And you can find uh, at, after he's – I think he's based in Canada because he does go to a lot of the Canadian conventions as well, TCAF and um, Fan Expo and the like. But he's always at, at uh, San Diego and always has literally two dozen uh, panels in those four or five days. And it's just him constantly running tape and having the agreement that you know he can release those and stuff. And he, you know – and because you've been a part of these as well, these one-of-a-kind conversations that if you're not there, you miss it. Right. So that's a, that's a great example of uh, Paul and Karen talking about Karen's career. Yeah. I'm excited, man. That sounds amazing. Yeah. And again, it sounds like uh, Dimitrius to me. Sounds like Karen Berger to me. So yeah, that's yeah. excellent, man. Very excited about really, that. I'm excited about it creat- creatively and personally. Getting to work with Karen again, it's just it's just been it's been a blast. Excellent. And, and I have a, a ton of other animated stuff that's been going on this year, none of which I can talk about. I don't. Well, think, I'm glad to hear it though, and I'm, except, we will talk when we can. Yeah, I've, I've, I've done some, I've done three episodes of Marvel Spider-Man. The first one is aired, but I have two more waiting to air. Whenever they, I'm Terrific. not sure when they're launching the next season, but I've done. And aside from that, I think three or four other uh, DC-related projects. Uh, I'm I'm in the middle of one right now that have all been really, really fun and interesting and exciting. And hopefully when they come out, they'll come back and we can talk about them. Hell yeah. Well, that's – and honestly, Mark, I'm really glad that you're doing that because, as you know, we all get excited as fans when the animated movies really do capture the spirit of what we love so much in the books. And obviously a lot of times that happens because certainly Len was another writer like that when he got to do animation. God, all the guys – and I don't remember – I know you did your Justice League stuff, but I don't know if you did any Batman animated series stuff back in the no. day. Mm-mm-mm. No, okay. I, I came into it right around the time of Justice League Unlimited, so I did a bunch for that and Batman Brave and the Bold and, and the animated yes. superheroes and a bunch of other stuff. Yeah. You but, know, and uh, well, in uh, Justice League, and I'm and I know for a fact you did the uh, the Fourth World one uh, that Storenko plotted, and then you you right. did the script that right. was amazing. But am I right? Also, didn't you adapt for the man who has everything? Yeah, that was the first one I did for them. Oh. That was the first one I did for them, and I, I'm, I'm embarrassed to admit this, but I had never read that story. <laughs> wow! And then they, you know, because everyone in the world knew that story, so I think had I read it, you know, before, I would have been very intimidated adapting it. But it was like, here, here's this Alan Moore story, and they sent me, you know, and okay, and we worked on the adaptation, and um, so I wasn't as intimidated as I should have been when I adapted it, <laughs> <laughs> which, which I think is a blessing in disguise. Oh. But, yeah, that was the first one I did for them, and happily, it turned out well. So there were lots more that followed uh, and, for- and you know and then it's it's again uh we talk about the creator own books where, where you're you're really it's just you and your artist basically working on your own you know when you're working in tv and movies it's a whole other thing and i take off my my sort of auteur hat you know and i put on my collaborator hat because you're working with a lot of there's always a lot of people involved when you're working in tv Sure. And so I get to work with, you know, great guys like uh, Michael Jelinek and Jim Krieg yes. and Bruce Tim and, 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 you know, so many people. Uh, Peter Girardi over at CWC. And then I'm forgetting like lots and lots of great people. James Tucker. Have you worked with James? James Tucker. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Love James. Tucker, yeah, Tucker, James Tucker, is Tucker, great. Tucker, and, and, and Mike, too. 
Yeah, they, they ran uh, uh, Legion of Superheroes and Brave and the Bold. Brave and the Bold, I might have enjoyed that show more than any of them because it was just so much fun, you know? <laughs> they, they, they approached me to come on, which was in itself flattering. And they're like, John, I don't know if you've watched it, but really, it's like the Golden Age Batman. And I'm like, oh, that's great. I'm in. And they're like, that's really in our minds. That's what we're doing is like the, the adventures of the Golden Age Batman. And I'm like, that's terrific. And I did. I fell in love with the show immediately. Yeah. Felt the same way about Superboy and the Legion. And then, of course, you and Mike worked on the Thundercats show. And I'm not a normal. Nice. I was too old to be a Thundercats fan. But a good friend of mine who's about 10 years younger and now in his 40s, he's like, dude, I know you don't like the Thundercats. I swear to God, it's some of the best writing and animation you've seen ever did they only make one season of that yeah they did and there were there were a couple that i wrote that never got on the air because the show ah. was canceled, you know and ah. such a beautiful job and I, I i was also not a big thundercats guy but i i have a son who you know grew up with that stuff okay so i had an appreciation for it but i wasn't like immersed in it but they took that original series and they stayed true to it while completely recasting it in a newer and bigger and better way. They did uh, Jelinek and whoever else I don't remember worked on that show. They just did such a great job with it. And that show could have gone on for years. But what I've also learned over the years with a lot of this animation is uh, the the half hour action adventure stuff is that if the toys don't sell, that's it for the show, you know, Uh, I do. And unfortunately that's the way it works. One show that I never got to right for but i loved as an audience member was the green lantern animated series yep absolutely i heard the same thing about that that oh, yes it didn't sell so they killed it and that was a great show oh my god I, I was just on another comic book podcast they i was flattered they wanted to talk to me and i talked specifically about that because there was a different comic book podcast out there that was just tearing their hair out and didn't understand why i wasn't getting renewed mm-hmm. and it's and i went on their message boards and explained that very thing because i've had enough people like yourself that come from animation and it is it's that simple this is made for a y7 audience to sell toys if the toys don't sell it it could be gone with the wind and citizen kane they don't right. care right they are getting they are dumping it and going on to the next thing and really this podcast audience and the host are like oh but it got a great adult audience i'm like yeah that doesn't matter it has to matter it's eyeballs it's ratings i'm like it's not the ratings or the money they're looking for because we're not buying the toys and the kids aren't buying the toys so it's going away and you're 100 percent right that show was incredibly well written and really smart and again we're be thankful as i'm sure you are with the thundercats and some of these other things it's like hey we got 13 in the case of thundercats we got 13 episodes Yay. Yeah, I mean that's you know that's a that's an achievement, and the same thing with the two seasons of uh, Superboy and the Legion of Superheroes. I never thought there'd be a Legion of Superheroes cartoon, and it's fantastic. Yeah, and the second season they really found their voice in the second. First season was really good, but the second season was even better, and they were just building momentum. And I, I think I worked on on the the finale of the second season, and the, you know there were a lot of places they could have gone from there. The other big animation disappointment I had was there was a, there was buzz for a while that they were going to transition Brave and the Bold into a JLI show. Ooh, <laughs> and I wrote Man. a I wrote a couple of Brave and the Bolds with the JLI characters in it, which was really really fun. 
Um, and that just would have been, you know, JLI is made for animation. They, they could just of do course. so much with, 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 uh, with our, with our version, with our characters. Um, so that was, that was a disappointment with that. You know, it's TV, it's like comics, you know, you're working on your favorite series and they cancel it. You're working on your favorite show, they cancel it. And it's even, you know, it's a heartbreak when you're the audience, but it's even more of a heartbreak when you're creating the thing and it gets canceled. I understand, man. I thought you really had something great going with uh, justice league 3000, you and Keith. Yeah. And, uh, I got to ask, uh, uh, am I hearing right? Is Scoopy Apocalypse uh, wrapping up? Oh, is that is that out in the world now? <laughs> well, I saw. Well, you know, Bleeding Cool, uh, our our own uh, you know daily tattler. Uh, it's it looked like there was it was looking like it was uh, yeah, last well, issue coming uh, up. You know, I mean, what's the difference at this point? So get in on the last bunch of issues because we're going to wrap up the whole story. We're it's, we're not going to leave it hanging. We're going to wrap it up. So wow. I I think issue thirty six will be our final issue. Hey man, thirty six issues and yeah, and this market? Are you kidding? That's fantastic. And and I got to be honest, Mark, I was a, I was such a doubter about this new direction for all the Hanna Barbera stuff because I'm like, why are you going off model in the, in, in more the more extreme cases like Mark Russell's Flintstones mm-hmm. and some of these other things? And and then I started, you know, first of all, uh, the one shots of the team ups. Did you work on any of those? Like you know, taking a hero and a no, no, what I just did was they just did a whole like I, another four of them, and I did a yeah. a secret squirrel backup that ran in the back of all four issues. Oh, uh, that's great! Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I have a couple issues I haven't opened them up yet, yeah. and I might have to get the ones I didn't pick up to to read your whole story. That's fantastic. But I'm with you. I felt the same way. You know, Keith called me up one day and said, "So uh, you want to do Scooby Apocalypse with me?" I'm like, "What?" <laughs> but I always say, you know, when it comes to Keith, if he called me up and said, "Want to do Millie the Model with me?" Of course, I'm going to say yes. Because when I work with Keith, it's 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 the collaboration even more than it is what we're collaborating on. Because I, I know when the two of us get together, we can have fun and create good stories with just about anything. And then Scooby, Scooby turned into a great gig. Turned into a great gig. Um, Keith uh, Keith uh, left the book, and I'm going to do the last batch of issues, write them myself. Okay, but uh, but it's but we're we're gonna re- we're trying to really give give the readers an ending, so it's not just like you're not left in the middle of something. You know, cool. we 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 have this world, we have the setup, we have the nanite plague. We're gonna resolve all that by issue thirty six. That's excellent, man, and I'm glad they're giving you the the space to. Yeah, they gave us a lot of warning on this, so that there's room. There was actually room because sometimes they, you know they tell you. I've had books where like it's like okay, you got an issue or two and you're done. Right, so you don't have time to do something like that and give the readers a satisfying ending. This they gave us enough uh, enough warning that I hope I will be providing a satisfying ending. And if I don't, it won't be for lack of trying. I understand, Keith. I know he's got a lot of other things coming up. Are you are you doing yeah. anything with him? Uh, not at the moment, but you know, we always end up doing something else together. Um, you know, I, I like to say we, we you know we did the, those five years on Justice League, and then didn't work together for ten years, and then uh, we got together with Kevin, and we did formerly known as the Justice League, and we all went, "Yes, oh, oh, we should really keep working." <laughs> we, had no, we had no clue working on the original Justice League run that it was anything that we were anything special together. It's oh my God! These three idiots, ten years to go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is really good. We sh- and we have basically, in one form or another, kept working together on various projects, especially uh, with Keith. But I've done, you know, we've done projects with Kevin along the way as well. Yes. Um, and I would work with with either one of them again in a heartbeat. If someone called up tomorrow and said you want to do a project with McGuire, I wouldn't care how busy I was. I would jump at it. And the same thing with Keith because I just love working with those guys. And again, it's like what I said with Cavalero at the beginning. You know, you work with people that are really talented and really creative, and then they're really good people too. What else could you ask for? 
Yeah, you know, McGuire's such a good guy, and I've gotten to meet him a couple times yeah, he's a great in the last couple of years. And unfortunately, much like Giffen, it's like, yeah, I'm probably not going to get him on a podcast. I'm so pleased that I did get Keith when he was still open to the idea. Oh, you did get to talk to Keith, though. That's good. One time, 2005 or 2006. Oh, you try to get him. Uh, Keith is, is as entertaining as they come. Oh, I know. It's like, you, t- you know, sometimes I call up Keith, and I just have to be quiet and listen to a 30-minute stand-up act because he just gets going, and he's really smart, and he's really funny, and he's so hugely entertaining. And Kevin, in a totally different way, is the same way. Kevin is very smart and very funny. I hope you could get him on because he would be – incredibly entertaining and insightful oh i'm hoping he'll reconsider he you know and i even you know he's become really good friends with bendis i think he moved out to portland now yeah a while back and, yeah and so there so not only do they collaborate but they, they've become really good friends and yeah and brian's like i'll put in a word for you and everything so i'm like okay well we'll see and he was just like uh, you know he just seemed like he didn't want to you know podcast at all and okay. just seemed kind of self-conscious about that which is too bad because as you said um tony moore used to have this great uh convention in cincinnati and um, I got to spend some time with him hanging out there, and he was really funny and, and loose and everything. And I'm like, oh, man, I hope to ha- get you on the podcast sometime. And like I said, unfortunately, I did. I just saw him in New York, and he's like, eh. I'm like, all right, man, I'm not going to pressure you. I'm soft sell. Don't worry about it. There's plenty of other people to talk to. And Giffen, yeah, I, I don't know. I've got his number, and I'm going to have to uh, try because I know he, he kind of is a bit of a – or at least – from a public standpoint, I don't even know. I'm sure he's got a DC email or whatever, but like, yeah, I, um, all I have is his phone number and other, uh, people at good comic book blogs that do have a connection with him are like, you know, a lot of times you just have to call him and be ready. And he'd be like, I can't today. Or if he can, he'll be like, all right, let's do it now. And it's mm-hmm. like, okay. <laughs> and I would, I would be prepared for that. Cause man, I'm excited about the thing he's doing with Lemire. Yeah. That, that's yeah. kind of that stranger things for the DC world, basically. Yeah, and, he's, and he's drawing again. And it's great. I, I mean, as much of a fan of, I am of Keith, uh, as, as my co-writer, I'm a huge fan of his art. I love, oh God, yes. I love his art. Yeah. Uh, so I'm really happy that he's, that he's working on that and drawing again. Excellent, man. Hey, and real fast to wrap up. Um, you know, I know you've been doing a lot of writer seminars, and I think uh, there's a few better to, to learn from as far as uh, craft and that. Um, are you still doing it? Is, is that still coming? Uh, I haven't done one in a while, but I just decided recently that I'm going to do another one in the spring. Great. And so if anyone's interested, uh, you can go to my website, jmdmtaste.com. There's a section for workshops. And probably early in the new year, I'll putting up information about when and where exactly this will all happen. Because uh, I haven't done it in a while and I miss it. I really have fun when I do it. Um, I, I, I did something re- uh, a few months back. I went up to uh, – there's an Activision studio not far from where I live. And, oh, wow. And did a day a day long uh, kind of seminar slash workshop with them talking about story all day. And it reminded me how much fun it is to just sit with a group of people, you know, for, in, this, in the case of my workshops, for an entire weekend and just talk story and impart whatever – whatever wisdom uh, I have. And, 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 and I always end up learning as much from them as, as, as I'm imparting to them. So it's always a great experience. So I hope to get another one going in the spring. So if anyone is interested, uh, just check the website. There's also an email on the website. So you could, you could always email me directly with any questions. And uh, yeah, I, I'm looking forward to doing another one. That sounds great, man. So Impossible Incorporated. We're mid-story right now. Third episode is or issue is coming out next week from IDW. In February, The Girl in the Bay. Sounds amazing from Burger Books, the Dark Horse imprint. Right. Uh, the Constantine City of Demons movie, animated movie. You saw it on the CW. Get the full movie, more, scene, more scenes. It's on sale now. 
and uh, Moonshadow. We're looking forward to that coming in 2019. Full slate, man, and uh, more animation and other projects from uh, Mark DiMatteis. It's, well, that, uh, that was a great summing up, John. You're very good at your job. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking. I'm looking at your uh, looking at your email. It's all written out for me. I see. But, okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I'm a, I'm a fast read. I'm a fast copy That's reader. Good. That's good. That's but good. dude, no, always always great talking to you. Seriously, yeah, man. Talk to you too. Well, and truly, as as another freelancer out there doing their thing. Uh, you're one of my inspirations. So truly, I'm I'm Thanks. I'm glad that things are are going well, and I uh, I will do my best to follow your lead. Okay, great. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. As always, a tremendous conversation with Jam D. Mateus. Uh, I again, I, it, I got to pinch myself sometimes when I think back to uh, the kid I was uh, reading these books uh, back in the day of uh, people like Mark. And now I get to call them friend and uh, call them back and uh, have them back on Word Balloon. It's honestly such a treat. And I'm always happy to share these conversations with you every week here at WordBalloon.com. Like I said, in that impasse time, I hope you had a chance to uh, reach back and listen to uh, some of the other uh, earlier episodes of Word Balloon, not only before the Bendis tapes, but maybe some of the October conversations or earlier. You know, the whole archive is waiting for you at WordBalloon.com. If you don't see it on the iTunes feed, uh, it's only got the first 300 episodes. I'm trying to fix that with uh, my people at Blog Talk Radio and Spreaker to get the full 826 episodes of Word Balloon back on the feed uh, and and don't don't uh, have to force you to go back to wordballoon.com to get all this stuff. I mean, that's that's the eventual plan. Uh, and, and truly, I mean, I'm not taking nothing away from my friends at Blog Talk Radio and Spreaker. They're excellent. They've been helping out. And it's been wonderful moving to that platform and uh, continuing to do new shows there. Uh, but eventually, I do. I want to get everything available to you in the most easy way possible to enjoy all these great conversations we've had over the years. It's interesting to go back and hear what was on the minds of the creators behind 52, the weekly series. You know, I mean, back when Jeff Johns didn't have a million things to do and he had an actual time to talk to me here at Word Balloon. Um, you know, Mark Wade, uh, back when he was still with DC. Aw. We miss him. And I know. Hopefully that uh, relationship will repair itself. This is all me talking, and Mark has nothing to do with it. Love what he's doing at Marvel. Nothing against that. Don't get me wrong. But truly, I mean, you know, the nuances of the Bendis tapes is Brian and I became bigger friends. Dan Slott, Greg Rucka, Brubaker. I miss you, Ed. <laughs> I'm getting sentimental. Uh, my fireside chats with Matt Fraction, Kelly Sue DeConnick, one, both of them, the power couple. I love them both. Uh, you know, I can't help it, man. It's the holidays. I'm thinking about my friends and happy to share these conversations with you. New ones and old ones. Go to wordballoon.com and uh, always peruse the archive because you'll find great conversations going all the way back to uh, 2005. I had that original feed in 2005 um, and it switched in, in September of 20, uh, 2006. I'm old. I still say 2006. I said 2006. But uh, you know, it's always great conversations, and I hope you'll check those out. And uh, and the new stuff as it comes out. More coming in December. We're barreling right through. I've already got a couple in the can that I can't wait to share with you. Conversations with uh, Victor uh, Gorlick from Archie Comics. Great talk. Man, do you realize Victor has been with Archie Comics since 1958 and can tell us about the, the prime years of Archie of the 50s to the new prime of the 21st century with uh, Sabrina's Netflix show and Riverdale 
and all the new invigorated interest in Archie, the wonderful series, Archie 1941. We talk about all that and more, and that's coming in uh, just a couple days right here at Word Balloon. So hang tight. More great conversations that are uh, scheduled and uh, in the running in the next couple days and weeks ahead. You won't want to miss it. It will be a December to remember. I promise you that. It's my Ali uh, influence coming on me to rhyme this way in the holidays. But it's all coming up here on Word Balloon. Thanks a lot for listening today. Uh, Word Balloon was brought to you by the League of Word Balloon listeners. If you enjoy what you're hearing and want to subscribe, you can do it via Patreon, patreon.com slash Word Balloon, or click on the Patreon ad on the front page of wordballoon.com. Thank you, League of Word Balloon listeners. The Word Balloon uh, episode is also sponsored by Aftershock Comics. I'm sputtering now. Great hit series waiting for you at your local comic shop right now. Animosity, Marguerite Bennett, Raphael De La Tour, A Walk Through Hell from Garth Ennis, and Goran Suzuka. Baby Teeth, the first 10 issues of Baby Teeth with uh, Gary Brown and Donny Cates in stores coming up Wednesday, December 5th. Beyonders by Paul Jenkins and Wesley St. Clair. Witch Hammer. Aftershock's first original graphic novel coming from great horror experts Cullen Bunn and Dalibor Talajic. That's in comic stores on December 19th. These are great ideas for Christmas gifts. You should consider them. Also, don't forget about Pestilence from Frank Thierry and Oleg Akunev. Uh, a great book. The first trade is available now. The second trade coming in January. So that's a nice one, too. Get them hooked on the first volume of Pestilence, and they'll be uh, looking for the next volume in just a couple weeks in early January. Pretty neat stuff, man. I am telling you, you will find great books that you like that are being put out by Aftershock Comics. Check it out for yourself. You'll find full story descriptions, preview pages, and the diamond codes on these books to order through your local shop at AftershockComics.com. Thanks again for listening. More coming up in December, and thank you very much for being patient during November. I hope I've been uh, keeping you entertained in these early holiday weeks. More to come before the year is out. Until next time, Word Balloon is copyright feature of Shaky Productions, copyright 2018. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.